unitedinstitute.org podcast where we feature successful professionals and scholars. Welcome to the unitedinstitute.org world podcast. This is Jeffrey Nutt and with me is Sadir Farjo. Welcome Mr. Farjo. Hi, how are you Jeffrey? Doing well, doing well Sadir. I just wanted to uh, sort of talk today a little bit about some of our current uh, topics that have been in our um, circle of, of news, shall we say, in the recent past, leading up into the present. And I thought, for example, we would just start off uh, with something that really is a milestone this year, in addition to the obvious, which is that we're having a presidential election. We happen to be having, uh, in the United States and around the world, uh, a 70th anniversary celebration of the Fulbright program. So we're very happy and pleased and delighted that uh, a number of us will be convening in Washington actually uh, later this coming week and anticipate a wonderful gathering uh, with a uh, uh, a, a, a wonderful reception um, the following week uh, to celebrate this monumental um, milestone year in the history of what is regarded as the flagship international educational exchange program of the United States government that is used to collaborate uh, with uh, governments and uh, institutions and people in more than 140 nations around the world, more than 300,000 Fulbright alumni, scholars, fellows have been uh, recipients of Fulbright grants over the years, and we're just so happy and delighted uh, to be a part of that celebration coming up here very soon. What, is, what does it mean to be a Fulbrighter? Oh, well, that uh, is a very unique type of uh, uh, de designation that is given to individuals who've been selected uh, by two countries actually their uh, country of origin as well as uh, another country typically the United States if they were born outside of the United States it would be the United States would be the other country or vice versa if born in the USA it would be another country where the their Fulbright Commission or the US uh, embassy uh, team in that uh, area would uh, be reviewing different uh, applications that would be submitted for these very exciting opportunities for students, for distinguished teachers, as well as scholars and others. So it's a very exciting program uh, to increase international understanding and cooperation through the uh, international exchange of scholars and students. And teachers. Nice, nice, nice. That's uh, this is going to be an interesting event. I know it's a, it's a, it's a. I believe it's a four day. Uh, it's a, it's a full. It starts. I think starts at November the uh, the tenth. Actually, the tenth. Uh, is when the Fulbright Association kicks off its annual conference, okay. and that's a four day conference with the Fulbright Association chapter uh, summit, so to speak, that is uh, involving probably more than fifty of the chapters around the, the country. Uh, of the United States uh, on Sunday uh, and then on uh, Monday, the following Monday, a number of the chapter presidents, uh, yours truly being one of them, uh, chapter president here in Michigan, uh, and uh, others will be gathering at the uh, U.S. Department of State for a 70th anniversary uh, commemorative uh, reception 
in Washington. Nice. There'll be about 20 of the international uh, Fulbright commissions from other nations that will also have delegations or uh, representatives present, I'm, I'm told, as well. Well, I was, I'm just on their website right now. It actually has something interesting that I didn't know about. It. I don't know if you did. Um, it, it says, uh, want, want to share your uh, Fulbright effect? We'll launch our Fulbright effect story contest on October 1st, but it's never too early to send your articles videos, slide shares, and photos to info at fulbright.org to share on our blog and social media. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. The full, to share your Fulbright effect. Fabulous. That is great. Indeed, indeed. Fulbright Association is a fabulous organization. It's the world's largest community of Fulbright uh, scholars, fellows, and alumni. And uh, it's... Uh, obviously um, resonating with a lot of people uh, here and around the world. Well, let's, let's, do you want to dive into our second topic today? Uh, um. Yes, let's, let's do that. There, there was something uh, in the recent past, Mr. Farjo, re regarding the uh, NFL players that have been bowing the knee, uh, so to mm -hmm. speak, during the national anthem. I just wanted to say, I thought when I first observed this occurring, that in, re in reality, it was not something that should be considered to be disrespectful. To be frank, I thought this is being talked about and described as protest in some respects, but on the other hand, it reminded me of what I saw when I was uh, at the U.S. Capitol uh, in the chapel on, uh, when I noticed there was a, 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 um, a stained glass window with none other than uh, an image of George Washington himself bowing the knee uh, uh, in, in uh, a sort of a, a very respectful uh, manner uh, uh, in, a, in a very sacred uh, type of uh, uh, image that um, to me was um, something that um, was uh, very um, respectful and yes in fact if a player wants to do that during the actual uh, NFL game or pre-game uh, festivities or the, the national anthem, uh, it all depends on what the particular owner is willing to tolerate. And uh, you know there may there there may not actually be any right to bow the knee. Uh, there's no real right to protest if that's what they're saying they're doing. But uh, if it's not considered uh, a protest and just simply a statement um, and uh, one that is one of respect, uh, then, you know, there are probably going to be owners that are going to simply allow it to continue as it has. So uh, I wouldn't um, blow it out of proportion is the way I see it. I think it's uh, something that is happening and we do want to be mindful of the fact that you know, the NFL uh, is a very big organization, and yes, they have a monopoly when it comes to uh, professional football in the United States. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that are done that uh, have an impact. And, uh, you know, part of what's happening, I think, with Super Bowl and other things is, uh, you know, uh, some of the ratings may not be what they used to be, uh, but sometimes they are... Um, off the charts, so it's a very volatile situation. Well, it's it's interesting. See, I the way obviously I, I distinguish the, the the way they are bowing the uh, the knee during uh, they're taking the knee during the national anthem 
from that of George Washington, of course, because one is George Washington, you know, does it as a sign of, did it as a sign of respect uh, for, for, for where they're doing it as a sign of protest. Um, I think that there is a distinction here. I don't think they're trying to say, you know, I don't think they're trying to do this as a sign of respect. That's where the distinction is. Um, as terms of, you're absolutely right. There is no right uh, of, uh, you know, kneeling during the national anthem. There's no right to it, of course not. And it's up to an individual owner. Uh, and I believe, uh, I don't even, I mean, I guess the NFL could, ad ad you know, adopt a rule to ban it like they have done for uh, other issues. I mean, for example, uh, before you were able to celebrate a touchdown in much different ways that you're no longer able to celebrate. Actually, yeah, I mean, you know, there are some um, teams that that are looking at, you know, imposing a, a fine or penalty for, for what would be described as a protest during work hours for the players, players association uh, players. And so in any case, um, it is something that is, um, you know, people feel very passionately about, and part of it is because of some of the um, issues related to race uh, and racism in 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 uh, in America that tends to divide America all too often, and um, it's something that uh, spills out into our, um, our our common discourse in. In, in all sorts of different ways, and some of those ways include things like, you know, the, 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 the protests involving um, uh, um, sort of uh, the, the, the uh, protests involving the, the, the police um, and the protests uh, for and against uh, groups that are, you know, such as uh, those that we have seen, like Black Lives Matter. So, you know, um, those are things that people feel very passionately about, and we do want to um, not shy away from having... Uh, having um, uh, I will ask you a question about, since you happen to be a, a lawyer uh, as well, I'd like to ask you a question about what you think uh, is happening uh, in terms of the internet and the transition with ICANN, what uh, tell our listeners what ICANN is if they don't already know? Okay, well, that's the internet. Uh, ICANN is you know the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, um, and it's you know it's the body that oversees uh, pretty much the internet's address system, um, which. Which up till and the recent, of course, uh, controversy is uh, is America. Well, what some people are saying is America's they're they're letting their contract with ICANN ex expire. Um, so that you, you're saying the United States government is 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 transitioning and has transitioned uh, as of uh, last month. I think it is then. Uh, away from exercising direct legal control over the the internet well yeah before they used to have uh they used to have uh they used to have some you know they had a regulatory body that's able to monitor the internet corporation for you know for assigned names and numbers i can and now they pretty much didn't renew the contract so so it just basically was allowed to expire 
and and ICANN, uh, which is based in the Los Angeles area, I believe, right? Um, they they are they are sort of humming along, sort of independently from any uh, governmental o oversight or, or regulation at this at this time, as people uh, are 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 seeing, and uh, obviously that's um, created. Uh, some uh, consternation in some circles, uh, but it is a reality. Now, uh, what about um, the, the, the law of the internet, uh, Mr. Fargo? Well, he's, well the, the issue is that they say it, it allows governments, I mean, that's the con controversy. I mean, for example, like China and Iran, who have shown before that they, you know, they do want to uh, restrict the usage of the internet, you know, kind of uh, it allows them some say in this now because of uh, because we're kind of n n no longer exercising this regulatory control. Um, this kind of brings it up to an international stage and it gives more countries inputs on what can and cannot be uh, regulated. That's the argument that goes forth. And uh, to me, uh, this, to me, I feel like this in general, like the whole restriction, you know, trying to restrict the internet or restrict, it just, one, it, I don't. I, I think it's very hard to do. Two. I just don't see. Uh, I don't see why uh, the the U.S. and you know specifically the Department of uh, Commerce why did they decided to give this organize you know why they decided to give ICANN uh, you know full responsibility to implement you know what they want to do. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it pans out. There is you know uh, an. E uh, sort of a, uh, an evolving area of, of law uh, uh, of the internet, uh, but not as concrete as what we normally would see in, in many aspects of our other types of law. But um, there, there is, there is um, uh, obviously uh, one type of law that we see every day on the internet uh, uh, that is affecting people's rights and their responsibilities um, does involve not just uh, the internet but something called intellectual property and, and Mr. Fardo uh, Sadir would you tell us tell our listeners what what do we mean when we talk about intellectual property well by intellectual property we're talking a lot about trademarks we're talking about copyrights we're talking about patents we're talking about you know uh, Pretty much the, the, the protection of things that might not necessarily be tangible. So it's like the people's ideas, their inventions. The inventions the, would play into the patent area where the trademark would be more of their uh, their brand and you know the copyright would be more of their uh, you know artistic expression. And so uh, when we talk about for example, uh, well, we were just talking about the NFL uh, just a, a few m moments ago, and there was a uh, a case in the recent past that's been in the news, um, which involves people's passions on uh, on on the part of uh, those who are fans of the uh, the Redskins. Uh, so. Uh, what is the significance of the dispute involving 
the Redskins trademark and what's going on right now with that in, in, the, in that area of intellectual property, Mr. Fargo? Well, the Redskins, uh, their mark was considered offensive to a particular group of people. And, uh, well, actually, to, a, to, to you know, a, 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 many different people. And uh, You mean their name, their actual their, name? Their actual name, the, yes, the Redskins, right. So the, uh, the Redskins is a football team, and uh, they've been using this uh, trademark for a long time. But their renewal, uh, every, every you know, few years, uh, trademark owners have to renew their trademark rights. And um, when it came for... Uh, their time for their renewal, it got denied because a lot of people were offended by uh, the the name Redskins. Well, you know, obviously the, the uh, well, I even remember when I was uh, on the board of American Indian Services, I remember seeing a flyer uh, up, you know, how, how they felt that it was uh, very insulting actually for teams to be called the Redskins or the um, or maybe even the, the Indians the, uh, and so forth. And they said, well, if you can do that, why shouldn't we be able to call, call people that, you know, like what, another team, the New York Jews and so forth. And, you know, to me, I would say that's sort of, uh, I would say that's somewhat disparaging as someone whose uh, family is of, I would say, sort of Judeo-Christian in terms of our heritage, our family. I, I would say I wouldn't feel comfortable uh, and I would be glad if the USPTO would, would not uh, allow that uh, for a team name. Uh, but um, on the other hand, you know, Mr. Farjo Sadir, Maybe you have a different thought on that. Well, it's it's to me it's hard to uh, well I guess one the law allows the uh, the trademark office to stop uh, trademarks that are considered to be uh, of such offensive nature that uh, they're disparaging. You mean? Yes, exactly. That uh, they're a lot. They would be able to stop such marks. But the question is, does that interfere with our uh, you know First Amendment rights? Um, and you know that's a debate, but the the broader implications of this is you are you're essentially who is going to be this decision maker that could be objective on deciding on deciding what is considered offensive well, and what is not. That's where you get into all sorts of things that, that you know even uh, things that uh, have been in other aspects of the headlines in the recent past. Uh, such as the so-called so speech codes, quote-unquote, where some of the uh, uh, institutions of higher learning have, have, have sort of um, developed these uh, standards with respect to speech and conduct that would uh, restrict students in their ability to say certain types of things or even at the most recent uh, Halloween uh, period of time that we had in the, in, in the country, uh, one of the schools indicated that uh, if the students wore the wrong type of costume that they may be, uh, in, they may find themselves uh, in an encounter with the campus police. Well, actually, not even in high school. There was actually a case not too long ago where a, a kid was actually uh, discipline for wearing a Jesus costume in, uh, I believe it was first grade or kindergarten in California. I believe uh, there was a case there. 
um, where the kid just, uh, as a Halloween costume, dressed up as Jesus. Well, I was just talking about some of the colleges, actually, that have some of these uh, very interesting uh, rules uh, against certain types of speech. And, you know, my belief is that uh, we are uh, a nation that has valued free speech and that we need to promote free speech. And we, we, when we admit uh, young people, uh, people at every uh, stage of their life into uh, institutions of higher learning, we don't admit them into, into bubbles or into uh, cocoons. We, we admit them into institutions where they're going to be uh, uh, challenged to think for themselves and, and uh, they're uh, going to be um, in, in courses where uh, their, their, their professors will be uh, undertaking a critical evaluation of their effort. And, and the likewise, likewise, the same should be true, I think, out in the other parts of campus life where uh, it's not a bad thing for people to encounter different points of view and, uh, and uh, different uh, uh, worldviews and uh, diversity of thought, shall we say. And so, you know, that's uh, an, something that's obviously um, a hot topic uh, because there are rules against uh, so-called ethnic intimidation or racial intimidation, things of that nature. Uh, um, you know, I Absolutely. mean, I, even, uh, even, even uh, sadly, I had to about uh, eight, nine years ago uh, um, file a report because someone... Um, had had um, put put a, a swastika on our on our sidewalk in front of our house with with the n word as well and my 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 family is is a, a multiracial family and and we found it very offensive and it was uh, something I reported to the anti defamation league and to and to the police and they took pictures and uh, received the report but it was something that you know everyone in the community really was a victim of that very unusual for. The uh, interracial uh, community where where uh, where we live uh, in Troy, Michigan, but I did want to, uh, and it's just outside of Detroit, and I did want to say, you know, though that we do need to be respectful. And one of the things uh, when when people do uh, speak in offensive ways or offensive speech in our presence, we always must maintain civility. We always must adhere to the rule of law, and we always must respect the American constitutional system, and and understand the importance of that system, and adhere to the rule of law, and follow the law. The law has honored us. Someone once said, "We need to honor it," and so that is part of what uh, we aspire to do, and we hope that our listeners will do even as we uh, transition to the new leadership in this nation, which uh, is on the cusp of uh, welcoming a new leader of the free world into the highest elected office in our nation. Uh, and uh, we hope that people will all uh, take care to vote well and often and uh, up and down the ballot, vote their conscience. and. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed this particular segment of the UnitedInstitute.org World Podcast. 
Yeah, let's uh, before uh, yeah, let's just take a break. Yes, and absolutely, uh, people should uh, vote based on their informed uh, conscience. I would like to add, um, uh, a well-informed conscience. Um, but yes, let's take a short uh, one-minute break, and we'll be right back. Do you love your lawyer? Jeffrey G. Knott and Associates PLLC uses the law to help businesses and individuals throughout the world. Visit jnotlaw.com or call two four eight. Two two zero one five zero one. UnitedInstitute.org is pleased to offer a series of self-paced online courses and simulations that help professionals become effective, productive, and creative. Visit UnitedInstitute.org. Welcome back to the UnitedInstitute.org World Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Nutt here with Sadir Farjo and Sadir. We were just talking about some of our uh, current uh, events and, and issues that have been in the news and one of them uh, uh, also that's been in the news affected uh, a case that some time ago I, I, I had. I've had uh, been very fortunate to have a number of different cases in different areas of the law and uh, some, some of those areas have included uh, intellectual property uh, cases that included uh, trademark filings in about 30 nations uh, around the world. And I do know that uh, uh, we help uh, veterans and do a good deal of work for people uh, who are in need of uh, protection of their individual rights as well and businesses and so forth. And one of the things that uh, we discovered in the recent past was uh, a, a veteran who had called us asking for uh, assistance in a denial of veterans benefits. The person indicated that after they had been discharged honorably, they uh, had uh, undergone a sex change operation and were therefore uh, transgender uh, in their identity. And they indicated that uh, they had a problem with having been denied their veterans administration benefits uh, application. and. Uh, they had applied uh, as this person uh, uh, called as a woman and indicated that she had applied uh, in that way and uh, I suggested to her at that time I suggested I really was perplexed and was thinking uh, without necessarily doing a whole lot of uh, analysis just off the top of my head it occurred to me maybe it might make a difference if you reapplied but indicated your gender of your DNA the the, the, the sex that you were uh, indicated to have at the time of your birth uh, uh, that would be your DNA uh, and and uh, reapply using that particular uh, selection and uh, I never heard back from the person but uh, it just sort of is a is a uh, you know is is something that is uh, you know been debated the topic of what what the rights are of transgender individuals or should be and you know some people believe that uh, there there uh, are other more pressing issues that need to be uh, addressed in this country uh, and yet um, uh, you know there are those that are in the transgender community who are uh, 
they believe they've been born in the wrong body, but they still retain the very same DNA they were always born with, and that never changes. But then the medical uh, profession will medically uh, alter uh, some of their appearance, and so there are those that have been changed medically, those uh, that maybe have been affected and changed perhaps uh, the, uh, by their own choice and lifestyle and maybe others who have had it imposed upon them who perhaps tragically have been caught up in the human trafficking uh, epidemic that we see so sadly affecting so many people in this country and around the world. And uh, so um, there's, there's a lot happening with people who are affected by that and um, uh, yet, uh, you know, the science and the, the, uh, the medical uh, establishment as well as the, as the public policy uh, makers, they, they are not all obviously on the same page. That's so, absolutely, and I think this is this is an issue where I, I think we need to go back and really look at this more in a scientific way, like you were speaking, and look at the DNA. I mean, that's that's I think that that, that should be our determining uh, factor there. Well, in any case, um, I do think that uh, we do have a wonderful audience, and we thank you so much, uh, listeners, for joining us for this particular segment. We've had a lot of interesting discussion and we hope that you've enjoyed this uh, very uh, unusual conversation about a variety of issues today on this very special edition of the unitedinstitute.org world podcast. This has been a presentation of the unitedinstitute.org and we are very happy to have had this opportunity to be with you today. We thank uh, Sadir, thank you for joining me today and being a part of this particular discussion. We have another exciting discussion planned next time, and we hope you'll join us. Have a great day today.